Hello. Hello. <laughs> Wait. Hello. Hello. Uh, that tone, tone was off. Hello. But let's just go with it. Hello yeah. and welcome Fixing to You Don't Know Lit. Fixing a post. My name <laughs> is Nick Argyris, of course. And today I'm looking for the best book about Martin Luther King. Happy birthday, Martin Luther King. Happy birthday, Dr. King. Dr. King. Happy birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I had to add that on to be better than you. Okay. Right. Ian is a doctor. They go to the same parties. Did you did you say Jr. or did you was it the abbreviation Jr.? Oh, good question. Uh, I said Jr. Right. I said okay. Jr. But I did. I didn't because like when you say then you say Jr. It sounds the exact same. But when you know know in your heart you're saying Jr. That feels demeaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more oh, of a like hey Jr. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you say junior and you're hey, saying just JR, it's totally, totally fancy. Yeah, very fancy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, to help me are two high school English teachers, well versed high school English teachers, mm-hmm. Ian and Joe. Two very Hi. fancy high school English very teachers. Very fancy high school English teachers. My name's Joseph Harvey Holshue. Uh, I am not a junior. <laughs> are I, you a junior? I, no. I'm not, no. Joseph Harvey Holshue. And Nick, this week I brought a bunch of stuff about Michael, about Michael, Michael King. That can't be right. One second. Uh-oh. I have to go to my notes. Well, I brought a bunch of stuff about Martin Luther King Jr. knows so much about him. He knows the secret name. <laughs> right. Uh, hello. It's me, Dr. Ian Luther Young Jr. Nope. It's not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Why don't both of you just take it from the top? <laughs> oh, God. I'll wait till you hear it comes next. And I have a dream that we can talk about <laughs> Martin Luther King. Good. Uh, Double down. I, I brought, I brought uh, MLK's book, Why We Can't Wait, for today's cop-out episode. Um, what do you guys think? Why do you think we can't wait? Who is we? Why can't we wait? What do you think? What do you think is the answer to this Is question? this like, we can't wait for Christmas? Or like, yeah. we can't wait... Well, to get there. Are there any words italicized? Well, it's it's a title, so all of them are italicized. <laughs> why we We can't can. wait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did Dylan. Where do you put the emphasis? Everywhere. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> what's our tone today, guys? Yeah, what's the tone? Is the tone like... It's probably ignorance. <laughs> most likely uh, privilege and, and ignorance and short-sightedness and probably some, you know, a lot of wrong wrongness. Yeah. Just I, general I just, incorrect information. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be straight up with you guys. I don't have a ton of jokes. Oh, okay, cool. Do you want us to provide those or should we just sans jokes for this episode? <laughs> just like the rest. Am I right guys? <laughs> just we, like usually, the rest. we usually say a bunch of stupid crap. So, uh, mm-hmm. it'll be unintentionally, um, ludicrous without yeah it won't be like our other really funny episodes (laughs) i just wanted you guys to know that i don't have like a hilarious game about racism or something oh okay i did i did bring a game it's not that (laughs) hilarious 
<laughs> well, welcome, lit heads, to you don't know it lit to weekly, or as we call it, strongly, strongly podcast, podcast. Where every week we normally pick uh, a theme and two books, and Joe and Ian fight it out, um, uh, book style with our, with our teeth. Yeah, with our it's teeth. A lot of bite. With <laughs> like Twilight. Did they fight things out with their teeth in Twilight? They're, I don't know. They're vampires. <laughs> vampire Ian, story. I guess I mean, it is wool, uh, werewolves and vampires. Exclusive biter. Right. Yeah, they just I kind mean, of, claws. they got one move is biting. I think I think vampires also have the move of bat where they fl- flutter around. Yeah. <laughs> bat! <laughs> well, instead of doing what we normally do, uh, um, which is two books, we picked one Did book today. If you like the sound of that, we don't have it. <laughs> if you liked that, go to a different episode. <laughs> Well, and we're doing one book because it is, of course, Martin Luther King's birthday. And yeah. as a birthday present, we have gotten, God, I, he might not like it. We got him this episode. Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we made you a gift. Goodness. We're excited to present this gift to our, uh, to fan of the show, Martin MLK Jr. This is going to be the first episode that we can't release. Like, we're going to record it. Nick's going to listen back to it. And he's going to be like, like no, guys, sorry. It, it wasn't savable. We I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, so we'll just skip the rules. Um, does somebody want to, um, tell me what this, what this book is about Ian. So Ian, you read the book and Joe, you're just doing, um, some just fun extra facts on the I, side I just of, to keep, keep this, this train moving. And yeah. I guess, so, uh, Ian, give us a taste. What, what is this book all about? Yeah. Let's jump right uh, in. 1963 was a big year. The Beatles recorded their first studio album. Lamborghini began manufacturing cars and JFK was assassinated. It was also a big year for Martin Luther King Jr. In his book, Why We Can't Wait, King describes the 1963 Campaign for Equal Rights in Birmingham, Alabama, during which he wrote his famous letter from Birmingham jail, and after which he gave his I Have a Dream speech. This book is part manifesto, part explanation, and totally inspiring. Yeah. Big year. That's a big year for everybody. That's a big year for the Beatles, a big year for Lamborghini, big year for JFK. Let's be honest. Not a great year, but yeah. big year for Martin Luther King. Shit was hot in the 60s. Mm, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, this is one of my talking points. I really like it's really trippy. Next week, um, uh, not to be a spoiler, but next week on the podcast, we're talking about I'm going to talk about a, a, a Beatles, a book about the Beatles. Oh, um, and so I've read that book already. And just spending like that time reading that book about the Beatles and then reading this book, the sixties were, a, it feels like they were one of those big kind of turning point decades. Uh, it was a wild decade. I mean, rock and roll, obviously, but obviously. Like, rock and roll had, check. Yep. You yep. had the cold war check. and you had us going from like, uh, not check. having any space program to putting people on the moon. And we the Vietnam was Maybe. ramping up. It yeah. well, okay. Vietnam was <laughs> ramping up like the whole decade. Right. I was looking at 1963 facts, and there are all these. 63 is kind of before Vietnam, but like there are all these things happening in Vietnam before the conflict began. And then there was also civil rights, and it's like wh- civil rights by itself could be a decade-defining thing. But yeah. there's so much else happening at the same time. It's like somebody got yeah. to the 60s yeah. and they're like, we have a lot to put in this yeah. decade, guys. Yes. We're running yes. behind. We have a lot to yes. do. Hold on to your hats. I really wonder, like, looking back, so we're, what, 20? Oof. We're, we're uh, like 60 years. We're 60 years 60. after the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. We're 60, 60 years after the 1960s. I really wonder in 60 years, in the year, like, 2073, people will be, like, doing their... um 
taxes. Whatever podcast. Yeah. Podcasts won't change. Blowing their lawn. And looking back at like the 2010s and saying, dang, that was a really pivotal decade. Yeah. Like it, I feel like people have been nostalgic for the 60s my entire life. Yeah. Like, like people our age who were never alive in the 60s nor close to it are nostalgic for the 60s in a lot of ways. And that's that's weird. That feels like something that's yeah. not going to be around. Well, the music was really good, but everything else was really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, everything I know about the 60s, I learned from um, this podcast and watching Mad Men. And, <laughs> right. And, mm-hmm. and like so much stuff happens. Perfect like, time just, capsules. It, it is. You just go down these Wikipedia rabbit holes and you're just like, did all of that really happen? Wait, I wonder, who, is, who is RFK? <laughs> did these guys know each other? <laughs> I wonder if it has to do with like the the fashion. So like the sixties have a very clear look. Mm-hmm. Not just fashion, but like design. So like you're thinking that's really the Is it the, the, the starting bell place for all of the, these issues? It's, no, it's, it's the not the fashion. cause. But I'm saying the reason we focus on the sixties so much oh. is because like we can identify it with a glance. Oh, it's got great branding. The sixties well, has great of, branding. It's right? got I mean, a like, font. It's welcome got a look. Lit heads it's got to the marketing podcast. You don't know marketing. <laughs> Uh, I wish one of us was named Mark because then we could do a marketing podcast called You Don't Know Mark, but it's not. Of Ian, you could change your name. Oh, great. Yes, that's a great call. Or your In conclusion, the 60s, man. It was a big decade. So, Mark, is this um, a memoir? Uh, well, I mean, I guess technically I, I, I was about to say no, but the definition of a memoir is it doesn't have to cover the whole life. It can be just a selection. And so this is a memoir of like one year. Uh, yeah. pretty much of 1964. So he, or sorry, 63, he deep dives into the Birmingham direct action campaign. Um, he kind of has some setup to talk about why, why we can't wait. Um, we being black people and wait, what are we waiting for? Well, freedom basically, um, uh, not being lynched. Yeah, justice. Yeah. Justice. Right. Exactly. Justice. Um, so he's got some, some kind of lead in sort of framing chapters and then he's really like, okay, so Birmingham, what happened? How did it come about? What were the, what was the reasons that what we did, what we did, what were the, um, what was the kind of dramatic story arc of it? And then, um, what happened as a result? And so it is a memoir. There's a lot yeah. of, I, I didn't really expect as much storytelling, like first person, I was standing in this room and here's how I felt, but yeah. there is a lot of that. Yeah. Well, and just to give a sense of like what, like where Birmingham is for Martin Luther King, like before Birmingham, Martin Luther King is like, he's a star on the rise. Like he's right. a national figure. Right. He's like, he's known, but Birmingham in a lot of ways really yeah. like cements yeah. him. Like he becomes the yeah. like the Martin Luther King that we, you know, name holidays after today because of that year in Birmingham. He got, he got the Nobel Peace Prize the next year. It was 64. Yeah. And like, it's it's not just because of this, but in part, like what happened in Birmingham and that the letter from Birmingham jail, which I'll talk about it. It Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. It cemented him as as like the the one the person who is um, I don't want to say a figurehead because he was more than a figurehead um, right. figurehead implies like there were he was just a facade. He was just a, a figure, puppet. a figure of speech head. Yeah, he was wow. the figure of speech. Yeah. He was a speech head. Um, he was a speech so, head. Hey, does, has he written a lot of books? Is that a dumb question? Is this like, no, has, it's, does he, it's not, it's not a dumb he question. Is he a pretty established yeah. like writer? Um, like, I'm just wondering like what the, was this a uh, pretty unique thing like within his, uh, uh, 
you know, time in the spotlight that he wrote books or was he always writing? Well, it, he's, he has a handful of books over his career, right? Like uh-huh. a, a half dozen books or something like that. He's obviously most famous for his speeches. Um, like that's, that's kind of his bread and butter. I read something that, yeah, the guy could do it. He was good <laughs> at it. I read something where like he had written something like, uh, or given something like 2,500 speeches in his uh-huh. life, like in a public way. Now, to be fair, he was a minister and he was counting those sermons, right. which is a little bit, I mean, it's legitimate, I guess. Mm. But yeah, but I mean, his brother- It's not like a podcast. <laughs> he was kind of like a motivational speaker. Like he he gave the speeches, he was known for the speeches, and then he wrote some books to, you know, like support that. Well, and, and some of them, some so like I'm, I'm looking at the bibliography right now, a couple of them are very much like, hey, you all know um, the first, the, kind of the first, his first direct action campaign that, that got big was uh, in Montgomery- um, and he's like, okay, let me tell you what happened in Montgomery. So he's got stride toward freedom, which was about the action campaign in Montgomery and like bus, bus focused strikes. And then he's also got this one, um, which is, uh, again, narrative. Hey, you're getting a lot of narrative stories about this in the press, but here's like my view of it. But a lot of his written books are, um, collections of speeches, collections of lectures. He's got a collection of sermons, um, as well as an autobiography. I, did, I haven't read the autobiography, but I'd be really interested in it because he's a good storyteller. Um, I'm looking at one of the longest Wikipedia pages I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right up there with the royal family. It's, it's just unbelievable. Like, oh God, yeah. You just keep scrolling. Is the Why did you bring this book instead of his autobiography? Out of, any, any particular reason there? Maybe that's a terrible question. I don't no, know. No, that's, that's a good question. Part, part of it was um, part of it was the autobiography is long, and I had limited time to read. Uh, and this is, <laughs> it's good. This that's that's this is shorter. <laughs> little little peek behind the curtain, lit heads. Hey, that's you know a what, real though? consideration. Everywhere. For all you lit heads who are thinking about reading, but just short on time, this could work. It, yeah, and, and I think so. The other the other kind of more the reason I was drawn to my I was drawn to it was because I've taught letter from Birmingham jail in my right. um, my rhetoric rhetoric classes, composition and rhetoric, like how do you argue? Um, how do you build a, a good persuasive argument? Um, it's a really, really good piece of public motivational kind of persuasive writing. And this is the core of this book. So yeah. the book is kind of like built around Letter from Birmingham Jail. We have like all the stuff that leads up to him getting arrested. And then we have the letter in the middle of the book. And then we have kind of the aftershocks. So it gave context for the letter in ways that like are absolutely Hmm. valuable. Um, He writes, and Joe, Joe, mm-hmm. why didn't you read anything this week? Just not worth your time. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I keep looking for a nice segue into the game that I brought. Oh, no. Very valuable. Hey, this the better be valuable. so tasteful. I think we're ready to cut this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is tasteful. Um, the name of this game is Martin Luther Blank. Um, and it is. <laughs> I think the answer is king. <laughs> it's a fill in the blank game, which I think you guys are going to do really well with. In fact, Nick, if you've been paying attention, we've already answered some of these questions. Nice. So <laughs> great test. I, I love oh, it. <laughs> so cool. I like, I like the rapid fire. Um, Ian brought a game recently that was a very rapid fire game. So I think what I'm going to do is I have a, I have a sentence stem written and I'm going to like, and you guys are going to quickly fill in the blank with a right or a wrong answer. I will give you the right answer and we will move on. I'm ready to look like an asshole. For example, (laughs) Nick, I might say Nick and Ian, he was the youngest person at the time to receive a blank. Nick. Damn it. Ian. (laughs) Knighthood. 
Not Nobel Peace Prize. No. <laughs> um, so that you'll see how the game's going to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are good. you guys ready to play? Yes. Yeah. Let me just cue up some audio that I'll I'll tape in later. Nobel okay. Peace Prize. Peace Prize. Damn it! I couldn't even get Peace Prize right. <laughs> you got. You got a Editable. Pie. Editable. <laughs> um, okay. I think we're ready for the game, Joe. All right. <clears throat> Nick, are you ready? He, I literally just said, I think I'm ready for the game. Hey, Joe, I think I'm ready, ready for the game. All right. I'm Nick. Everybody's lit hats. <laughs> hey, Nick, I'm Hold ready for the game. <laughs> All Mark, right. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Martin Luther King Jr.'s father's name was Michael. He was a minister. He visited Germany in 1934, and he became so inspired Wait. by the Protestant Reformation that he blank. Nick, what did he do? Accidentally named his son Martin. <laughs> Ian, what did he do? Named his son after the reformer Martin Luther. He not only did he name his son after the reformer Martin Luther. <gasps> by the his way, name. his son was already born. Oh. He changed both his and his name son's names to Martin Luther I King. Love it. So when I said Mike King earlier, um, that was his his original. That's name. amazing. That's so good. It's pretty good. That's uh, called Martin like, Luther King. That's called. Sorry, that's just like going hard. You're like, I love these guys so much. I am changing my name. And my son's name. And my, and my son's name. He's going to be junior. All right. Martin Luther King is the only non-president to have a blank. Huh. Um, Monument on the National Mall. Ooh, really good. Not correct. Next. How about like his name somewhere? I bet he's got yeah. his name somewhere in really like a good. book. Yeah, his name's actually on the calendar uh, today. It is his birthday becoming a holiday. Uh, the other ones are, of course, nice. George Washington and I think Abe Lincoln. We celebrate. Well, they uh, contracted them into they contracted the Washington. Day. Yeah, it's all. Perfect. Hey, you guys are both English teachers. Um, what's with um, most schools not honoring this holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts there? Wait, <laughs> is MLK not a national holiday? It's like not a federal holiday? We, I, my school definitely is in session on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Really? I, I think you can go ahead and assume that if you go to a predominantly white school, you don't have a off. Yeah. <laughs> that is not celebrated. This is a federal holiday. Mm, it's supposed right. to be off. I'm very uh-huh. grouchy about this. Right. right. You should What's, write to my school board. Or, or maybe shoot aim a little higher on that one. My school, uh, <laughs> my my school's like I've I've always uh, universities have all uh, the universities have taught at, and also my school we all have off. That's so weird. Yeah, we had I had some students uh, a few years ago talk to me, and they're like, "Hey, Mister Holshu, why don't we have Martin Luther King Day off?" And these, these were these were students of color, um, and I said, "Hey, that's a great question, but if you want a little uh, political action campaign, I bet you could make that happen. Like, like I bet pretty like easily, you, folks. Yep, I bet you could make that happen." That, that's some of that foundational racism that they talk about, that in the scaffolding racism yeah. built in, folks. Okay, so anyway, I'm ready for the next question, Joe. Absolutely. The first assassination attempt of Martin Luther King was made with a blank. I'm looking for a type of weapon here. Um, I don't know. This is a terrible question, Joe, but... Um, well, it could be like a bomb. It could be a oh. gun. It could be a car. A Molotov cocktail. Good, good, good knife. Uh, a pen knife. It was a pen or a pen knife, a letter opener. Letter it was, opener. It was made That's with right. a letter opener. Um, Martin Luther King skipped ninth and 12th grades. Little math question for you. He enrolled in college at age blank. Six. That's, that's, really way, that's way too young. Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's, 
<laughs> this is not price or right rules here, Ian. I don't understand grades. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and say 16. Ah, 15 years old. Ooh, he wow. also was kicked out of first grade because his parents tried to enroll him just a little bit too young. Um, so they found out he was only five years old or whatever, and they're like, yeah, come back next year. Uh, but he was apparently an intelligent young man. Sounds like he didn't respect the school <laughs> system. Maybe some sort of connection there on the days <laughs> off? No, I don't know. <laughs> they're just grouchy. All the teachers <laughs> talk to each other. On Martin Luther King's wedding night, um, all of the hotels in town were white only. So as a result, he and his wife spent their wedding night in a blank. Uh, these are tough, uh, really frustrating questions. Um, a church? In a manger. And, oh, both really good. In a morgue is the oh, right answer. Why? Um, they stayed with a friend of theirs. This is a pretty good story. They stayed with a friend of theirs who was just lived in town and he happened to be the town mortician right. and he worked out of his home. Like he didn't have like a okay. funeral parlor that he worked out of. He worked out of his home. So there were dead bodies in the house um, on, on King's yeah, wedding night. That, that guy just lives. Okay. All right, uh, I'm just going to break off a few more like fast facts. We, 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 can stop, we can stop the game. Um, uh, Martin Luther King won a Grammy Award. One of the speeches that he made, uh, Why I Opposed the War in Vietnam, was pressed onto vinyl, and he won the Best Spoken Word Album of the Year for it. Oh, he, he wasn't just about civil rights. He also, especially late in his career, used his platform to advocate for other social causes like guaranteed basic income and universal health care. They don't talk about that quite as much in the, in the <laughs> dot, history books. Dot, dot. Yep. <laughs> Still and waiting on those. <laughs> finally, in 2014, um, the 1964 FBI file was opened on Martin Luther King. And in it, there was a letter of blackmail that the FBI had sent to Martin Luther King. You guys might have seen this. It makes its rounds on the internet from time to time. Uh, yeah. In, in it, they said, hey, King, we know about your adultery. We're going to tell everybody unless you blank. Nick, can you fill in that blank? Uh, yeah. So, well, first off, there's a, a pretty decent documentary on Netflix about this. I think it's just called... MLK or maybe it's MLK and the FBI. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You can find it. It's pretty good um, in terms of like hearing about terrible things. But um, is it he just quits, right? Isn't it basically that he goes away? Uh, Ian, uh, the, the ball goes to you. Shut up. Uh, no, it's neither. Of, it is both of those things, but okay. it is specifically by killing himself. Oh, my um, gosh. They, yes, they said, dear King, oh uh, the FBI, your government, ladies and gentlemen, sent Martin Luther King a letter that said, hey, we know about your adultery. We're totally going to tell everybody unless you just kill yourself. Quote, you know what to do. Quote. So that should bum me out. <laughs> Ooh. Thanks. Do we have a name for this game, Joe? Like, um, uh, yeah, Martin Luther blank. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Well, that was really fun. Um, <laughs> Yikes. Um, that's yeah. That's a, the the word game seems to have a fun connotation <laughs> to it, but not here. It's a great <laughs> I was just while Joe was telling talking about that, I I did some research on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and C cried silently. Um, I I, I just want to point out a few places where it's not just Martin Luther King Day. Some places like combine it with um Civil Rights Day, which is cool. But Alabama, Arizona, oh no, uh, not Alabama, Alabama, uh, Mississippi. I'm sorry, are we supposed to boo these states or cheer oh, these you just states? Wait, wait till you find out what they were. Uh, Alabama and Mississippi okay. are the only ones that retain this. Uh, this used to be much more widespread. Celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday 
uh, and also Robert E. Lee's birthday. Robert E. On the same day? Yes. They So in Alabama, it is referred to as Robert E. Lee slash Martin Luther King birthday. <laughs> God. I would also like to point out for the Lidheads, as you will remember from our <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird episode, Alabama and Mississippi fall 49th and 50th in every quality of living standard in this country. <laughs> um, This book, this book mentions. <laughs> and yet vote Republican every <laughs> okay. fucking time. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> this book this book mentions uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's almost like those things are connected. Sorry, keep going, Ian. He Mark. talks about To Kill a Mockingbird. He um, he uses an example from To Kill a Mockingbird to make a point about justice and like childhood or something. Um, so it's it's a super weird little moment in the book because you don't imagine you don't imagine that <laughs> being something that he read. But he's like, yeah. yeah, here's this great book, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess it makes total sense that he would he would seek that out. So. Right. That's like today. If he was around, he'd be like telling you about the Netflix documentaries that he watched. He's like, have you guys, have you guys seen making a murderer? I think that, I think that guy's totally innocent. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the FBI on MLK? <laughs> the book starts off kind of, kind of in abstract terms, answering the question, like, why can't we wait? Um, he talks about why black people are discontent, uh, runs down institutional racism. Uh, you got to remember, this is published in 64. So some of this stuff would be very, very familiar to most readers. Like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, you know, um, voter suppression. But some of it would not be. Some of this would not be. It would be eye opening. It would be shocking. Like, ew, kind of an ick factor. Um so he starts off. Sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He starts off like saying, so like what actually are black people concerned about? What are they bothered by? And he makes a really good point. This book is published in 64. This is exactly a hundred years after the emancipation yeah. proclamation and black people are like, Hey, it's been a hundred years. What? What happened to that freedom we were promised? <laughs> um, yeah. So then he goes from that to like what we're doing. We can't wait. Yeah. So what are we going to do about it? And this is a really interesting, useful part of the book. Um, when Martin Luther King was arrested and put in Birmingham jail, uh, the next day in the newspaper and a letter ran from, uh, who, who was it? It was, it it was was six white clergymen from kind of around the South who were like, Oh, uh, let me do it. Oh man, Mr. King, you really shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. You're casting a a bad light on Jesus Christ's name. Why don't you just sit down there? Right. Well, and one of the big takeaways from their letter is they said, hey, Martin Luther King, like you're an outside agitator. We yes. don't really appreciate yes. you being here. And by the way, like if you want change, there is a legal process for change to happen. Elect politicians, go to court. Like that's the right way to do this. Progress mm. is slow, but progress is steady was kind of the thesis of their letter. Right. And Martin Luther King's his letter from Birmingham jail and subsequently this why we can't wait is really a response to that letter. Right. I guess to put this book into perspective, did, was this, did this come out before his autobiography? Yes. So is everything in this or anything you're about to say, like, is this kind of the first time it was written? Absolutely. Like the first time it was documented, these viewpoints, like in, in a way that's, that wasn't a speech at a church that right. held 455 people. Yeah. I, I, so was this book he distributed? Did it have support? Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was it, it was widely read and and, and it, okay. it got out okay. there and, and it was reprinted a bunch. Obviously, I think after he was assassinated more and more, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But I think I think there's really a sense like for us, you know, though that decade, his 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 work in the 60s, um, we all know these stories, but these stories were not being like the newspapers were running stories, yeah, but um the sort of the narrative of the heroism of people who were resisting um, the sort of the, the the cruelty, resisting the brutality, people who are putting their lives in the line, and especially nonviolently, this was not widely known. So this is really his chance to say, this is what we're up to. And he deals with that outside agitator charge. He says, yeah, like, I, no, I was not born and raised in Birmingham, but I was invited here. My organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, was invited here by the local chapter. Like they brought in the national group because they wanted us here. We 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 belonged here. So he's very much kind of giving an inside look. And the one of the best parts of this is he breaks down how they planned this even yeah. down to like yeah. okay so we were looking at we were looking at calendars and we realized that we wanted to <laughs> protest on days that were big shopping days so we looked yeah. at easter as a really big shopping day um but we realized that um there was going to be an election uh and there's a really bad guy bull connor in charge we didn't want people to point to our uh our protests as a reason for bull connor to be reelected to kind of preserve the mm-hmm. racist status quo so we decided to postpone till after the election but just before um uh easter to hit them where it, it hurt in the pocketbook where it hurt them the most right. but then there was a runoff election so all of our it was even tighter time schedule and he breaks down like we had these trainings if you're going to if you wanted yeah. to um, protest, you had to be, be screened and then you had to be trained how to protest nonviolently. He talks about like our primary goal was to put so many people in prison that they could not imprison yeah. any more people. Yeah. They, well, and that's one of the things that I thought was super interesting about this is how how planned yes. these things, like how, how planned these things were, you know, like we all learn about civil rights when we're, when we're young and you kind of think like, oh, well, Rosa Parks was this, you know, old lady. Well, I guess at the time you think of her as an right. old lady who didn't want to give up her seat on the bus. And then later on, you're like, oh no, she was a trained nonviolent yeah, protester. Yeah. Like that, like, and I think one thing that I take away from this, when I, you know, read about Birmingham, when I read about, you know, project confrontation is, when they do these protests, when they plan their sit-ins or their kneel-ins or when they plan these timed marches to the county building or when they try to provoke mass arrest, you know, we think of nonviolent resistance today. You know, we think of Occupy Wall Street or something like that with a bunch of people like standing outside of Wall Street banks with signs and then getting like ushered to public parks. And it's like, oh, well, that's nonviolent resistance. But one of the things that I always come back to, and and I think this isn't taught well enough anymore, is no, 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 no. The resistance is nonviolent. 
but it also has to be disruptive nonviolent resistance in order to work. Like one of the reasons they wanted to fill up the jails is they wanted to eliminate the threat of jail is a serious consequence, right? right? Right. Like those jailhouses became a party. It was like high schoolers and college kids that they were training in this. They were getting loaded onto school buses and brought to the jailhouses and they described it like a church picnic, right? right? Like they're laughing, (laughs) they're having fun. They're like, yeah, that's a blast getting arrested for this stuff. Well, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Joe's words, not theirs. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's it. I've never heard that before. Yeah. The, the, the sort of deliberateness of it and the, the, the strategery, uh, you might say of strategery of like, there's a part you mentioned, like the younger folks, there's a part where King says, you know, we had been doing this for a while. It was going well, but we decided we needed to get more young people involved. And so we went to the schools, we went to the high schools and the the colleges and, um, we had, we had, uh, just, uh, huge numbers of kids saying like young, young people saying, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. And, um, like doing mass walkouts where the principal is locking the gates of the school yeah. and they're climbing <laughs> yeah. over the gates. Cause like, we got to go protest. And just the, 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 the willingness to do this and they're putting their lives on the line. Like the, the, yeah. the, um, the image, the popular image of sort of like the racist, the racist South during civil rights is police dogs and fire hoses, right? Like that's yeah. the image. They were deployed, he explains, for the first time here in Birmingham because people were kneeling down and not moving. Kneeling down in the streets. Yeah, Yeah, like you are breaking the law. And they would say, "Uh, yeah, that's a moving violation. We're going to write you up and send you to prison. A little misdemeanor. That was a police. Yes, that was that's <laughs> what they gosh. sounded like. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> so like, yeah, they were disrupting. Um, and the risk was, you know, getting bit, uh, getting blasted. Like he has, he has this, there's, there's a guy who worked in Birmingham, Fred Shuttlesworth, who was a big, uh, on the ground kind of local guy, uh, a minister there. And he talks about how Shuttlesworth one time um, got picked up by the force of the water and flung against a building. And he had like, broken bones and stuff and everyone was like is he gonna die but he didn't mm-hmm. and he made it and he was back on the streets the next couple like in a couple of days yeah it's um you know it's funny he's talking about this i saw some scholarship about this and they were talking about recruiting people to do this because at a certain point you know when they first came into birmingham they weren't necessarily warmly received mm. even by the right. black yeah. community there you know it was kind of split right people some people are like yep we love it and some people are like no but then they, after a while, they kind of got these kids to come out and protest. They, they, it was pretty good. They said that the young men were actually kind of reticent to participate. A lot of the young men, they're like, hey, we know what racial violence feels like. Like, like people are bad to us. Yeah. So then they started recording, then they started recruiting the young women um, instead who haven't had as much experience with overt racial violence. And of course, then the young men were like, kind of on board. They're like, they're like, oh, well, if Sally's doing it. But um, Ian's talking about these images of like these people kneeling, like getting bit by police dogs, getting like hit with fire hoses. They describe, you know, like these fire hoses being strong enough to like peel the shirts off these young guys. And those images were totally galvanizing. Mm-hmm. Like here you see grown men bullying teenagers who are being entirely nonviolent. And all of a sudden, like not just Birmingham, but I think a lot of people in the United States were like, 
hey, what's <laughs> what's going on yeah. here? I, this is this this looks like something shady's going on in Birmingham. Right. Is this covered in the book, or are we just talking talking? No, no, no. Like like the 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 violence of the of the response and stuff, and and the the effect that the, the images had. It's covered. It it is covered. He talks about so one of the benefits he writes this in sixty four. One of the benefits of him having like six months to a year to look back is that he can say, yeah. And because of Birmingham, this happened, this took place because, so he's writing this after JFK is assassinated. And he says like, Hey, I've had the chance to talk to three different presidents. Oh, and by the way, here's my thumbnail sketch of how they feel about civil rights and the way that informed their interaction with um, public policy, which is like, uh, that's a, that's a brief like what the heck moment when it's like oh yes the three presidents that I've known here's their different perspective <laughs> um but he talks about um how the stuff that happens in Birmingham kind of picks up steam um picks up momentum and leads to the march on Washington which is where mm. uh the I have a dream speech happened and he talks about how the the press coverage initially of Birmingham was like uh, suspicious. And then it was like, okay, but why don't you midway through uh, the, the election finally wrapped up. um, And the guy who was elected was not a super racist. He was kind of a, a a low key racist. And the press was like, well, why don't you let the low key racist see what he can do? Maybe he's not as bad. Maybe this is progress. He's Thor's brother. He can't be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it talks about how kind of gradually the, the press came around to the point where by the time of the, the March on Washington, by the time of I Have a Dream, they're willing to sort of legitimately represent black intellectualism, black political activism as, you know, like something to listen to. So they don't they don't put forward the March on Washington as this like weird wacky kind of goofy look at this bizarre like these bizarre black people in Washington. It was mm-hmm. like, no. They have ideas which are worth listening to. So let's listen to them, which I think is super cool. The way that Birmingham yeah. directly led into I Have a Dream and the effect that had um, kind of around the around the country. So um, not that you need to share any reasons, but why is this book worth reading? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I would say I have two reasons why this is worth reading. The first is that it's just really weirdly prescient. It's weirdly like f- looking forward. It, it it sees he sees the future. He has this passage where he talks about the effect of assassinations. So he's responding to the death of JFK. He says that the reason that JFK got assassinated was because our society was not willing to stop assassins when they assassinated black people. And he said like this kind of normalized assassination. So that people thought, hey, I can just kill whoever I want. And there were a lot of assassinations in in the like late 50s, 60s. Um, Malcolm X. There was another one of the Kennedys. Yeah. Robert, I think. Um, yeah, Robert. Mark. I think it was Mark. Mark. It was, <laughs> that's what Mark, happened Mark. to it. That's where he Mark. went. Um, and then, so like he talks about JFK's assassination has these seismic aftershocks that fundamentally change America. And then like we can fill in King himself was assassinated. And yeah. he he makes this point like society wouldn't wouldn't focus wouldn't fixate on assassins of black people like they did on JFK. And you're like, why mm. haven't we like developed a huge network of conspiracy theories about 
King's assassination, like we did about JFK. Mm -hmm. The King family has been saying, no, it was an inside job. The guy who assassinated Martin yeah. Luther King wasn't like a good, like he couldn't have, it wasn't, he wasn't acting alone. He, he maybe didn't even yeah. do it. They've been beating this drum for, they, they beat this drum for like 30 years. And finally there was a, a civil case that was like, oh yes, but the government won't admit anything to so move on. So yeah. like that assassination, yeah. like he predicts, like he says, black people get assassinated. Nobody really cares. Um, but JFK got assassinated and everyone's like, the grassy knoll, man. Let's talk about the grassy knoll. Let's get into it. For like, for, it hasn't yeah. stopped. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, clearly very different situations, right. yeah. but there's similarities, yeah. right? It's like somebody who was outspoken, who was doing things against the right. grain. Well and, loved. Yeah. And, and I will say, yeah. so like culturally, I, I wasn't really aware of this before a couple of years ago, but when King was murdered, there were huge race riots all mm -hmm. across the U.S. And there were like a select few places, like most major cities had race riots after King was murdered um, as a way of kind of like um, responding to, to this. Um, there, the, mm -hmm. it's, it's easier to say, oh, these are the few cities that didn't have riots as opposed to here's the list of ones that did. So people did respond dramatically to his assassination. Um, but then they just right. kind of, they just kind of forgot about it. And one of the things I, I learned about that, I don't know, a couple of years ago as well. I, I think I talked about it on the show at a certain point, but, um, when they passed the civil rights act, you know, when yeah. LBJ passes the civil rights act, one of the ways he was able to usher support for that in the Senate, like especially in Southern States is cities were actively yeah. rioting. Yeah. Right. And it was seen mm. as a way to like quell those riots. So I yeah. don't know. I guess the lesson here is disruptive, nonviolent resistance and maybe rioting if you guys want change. <laughs> well, this is this is the other reason to read this. And I think it's so I've talked about the sort of time capsule element of it, like the 60s and uh, just just sort of inhabiting that and, and getting his behind the scenes look is really, really useful and interesting. But I think the other reason to, to understand this or to read this is to see like where his mind was at in 64. 64 things seem like they were going in a good direction. Right. He has hope. He's big into hope. And I don't know how he'd feel today looking at the world because a lot of stuff hasn't changed. A lot of he 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 talks a lot about like some people said you've got to go through the courts. You got to work through the court system. That's the way to do it like Joe was talking about. But he talks about how the court system people who were racists kind of like figured out how to use it to tie things up. He talks about like uh, when he was arrested, they arrested him on a charge of civil shenanigans, civil nonsense. Like it, it was civil, not criminal, uh, civil misdemeanor as opposed to criminal mm -hmm. criminal. The laws said you could release, you had to release him after five days, civil misdemeanor. The laws said you have to release them after you've tried them, but it didn't say how yeah. long you had to wait until you tried them. So they arrested him and they charged him and a couple other ringleaders with the civil kind so they could basically keep him in prison forever. This lasted until this it got out and the president called the, the city officials and said, you can't do this. And so they <laughs> they swapped him over to a to a, a, a criminal uh, misdemeanor and then he got out, got out after five days. But but the the thing is, like he says, just using the courts. That's that's the courts are built by white supremacy. The courts are built by racism. So 
it's they're they're going to snarl things up. That's going that's going to slow the the movement down to the point where it'll stop. It'll, there will be no more momentum. Yeah. So, yeah, I really I really wonder like. I, there's a lot, there's a lot still out there, man. There's a lot going on that I imagine reading this because it seems like a little time capsule. Like I imagine reading this being very um, depressing. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> it was a bit of a downer because he's like, yeah, hey, he, but he, also he, like, um, like very aware, yeah, you know, of yeah, like yeah. the 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 dynamics yeah. that he knows he's going through yeah. and how. It hasn't aged poorly. Like it's yeah. aged like a fine fucking wine. <laughs> like it's, it's like yeah, like he was this, he was dead on. Yeah, yeah, he was right. He was aware of his you know mortality. He knew and, what was and, up in all yeah. of it. And well, and it's crazy. You know, English teachers we talk about this thing called dramatic irony, which is when the audience knows something that the writer or yes. that like people uh, in the book don't. <laughs> oh right? no! And like, like I don't a think you terrible can, theme, Joe. Yeah, like I don't think you can read this with a little bit without a little bit dramatic of dramatic irony. Like we know how things go yeah. after this, yeah. and we're getting a time capsule of Martin Luther King. And right. Yeah, I mean, Ian says it's kind of a downer at times. Right. And 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 yet he has so much hope. I think this is kind of the. I could talk about like Martin Luther King Jr. Day and how it's kind of become a corporate way for uh, people to signal like, oh, yes, look, we're not racist. And then they go back to their nonsense um, off the other 364 days. I could go into that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to like end by saying he believes that change can happen. And better than that, he sees change happen. And like we say, yeah, things haven't changed as much as they should. There's still huge injustice. Fact of the matter is, the 1960s things did change for the better yep. and like there were there were voting uh voting uh, uh restrictions lifted there were um like financial limitations that were removed uh there were all kinds of social things that were put in place all kinds of like you can't segregate your schools you can't segregate your lunch counters like things did improve so yeah he had hope and i think that hope was well founded do you think that racist people learned from that too and were just like, oh, now we know how to block that out from making <laughs> actual change that's lasting? Like, we know how to circumvent that now? I think so. I do. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I was actually, I was actually reading a, a, a I think both sides article. learned something. I was reading an article about this recently, um, and I don't really know how I feel about charter schools, but apparently in some areas, charter schools are a way that um, basically... Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument goes resegregation happens. So um, charter schools allow for a certain socioeconomic bracket to primarily like attend that school. And the yeah. function is that um, the schools become kind of kind of divided along race lines like mm-hmm. poorer people, people of color end up in the public schools and charter schools end up being mostly white kids. And I do think like the 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 methods have changed, but the goal remains the same. The goal hasn't shifted, which sucks. But yeah, it sounds like a really good book. It's a really like good I, book. It's I, short. Yeah, it sounds very. Um, I like the idea that it's like that moment in time that like, nope, I have something to say that hasn't really been documented in a way like this before. And this is going to be very poignant. Right. And it's, it's really good to see, like Joe was saying that the preparation, 
Um, we had this idea that like Rosa Parks got on a bus or, or Martin Luther King made a speech and that solved racism. The, a lot of stuff, a, a lot of stuff that we don't think of when we think of MLK, we think of, we think of, I have a dream. We think of the letter from Birmingham yeah. jail. We don't think of how he got there. And then what happened right. after he got out? Yeah. We don't think of Martin Luther King in the, in the trenches. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. like fighting. Exactly. And doing it all intelligently and strategically too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not just like, let's yeah. go to a bridge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Right. I mean, it's, 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 you bet they, they chose, he talks about like, um, before we did our lunch counter sit-ins, we carefully mapped which lunch counters were most segregated, which ones had armed guards and which ones had unarmed guards, what times of day they were most frequently, they were most busy, what times we could be most disruptive, yeah. basically doing like big data analysis by visiting. <laughs> basically big data. <laughs> by taking notes on paper. Yeah, um, yeah just, just incredible. It's a good yeah. book. Litheads, um, if you want to help the show, the best thing that you can do is tell a bookish friend. After that, you can follow us on socials. We are everywhere that your phone makes you spend too much time on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, beyond that, leave us reviews. Leave us reviews on the iTunes store or the podcast player of your choice. And as always, you don't know litpodcast.com. Suggest a theme, suggest a book. We read them all. Ian, nice job. This is a quote uh, talking about um, what, what I was discussing earlier about the courts snarling things up, slowing things down. King says, I'm sorry. One more thing. I want you guys to listen and you guys and, <laughs> and let heads listen for the way that King uses, um, parallel structure. Parallel structure is, you know, like when Winston Churchill said, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the trenches. We will fight in the grocery stores. This is like, this is this repetition of, we will fight in the, this is parallel structure. So he's not just a good storyteller and an inspiring person and a good planner or whatever. He's also a really good writer. So um, listen to how he kind of like builds this uh, over the course of, it's, it's a short paragraph. He says, time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to work to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, Time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Right.